It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Today is Friday, March 11th. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this is Raven News. Alaska's Board of Fisheries opened a nearly two-week meeting on Thursday with proposed changes to commercial sport and subsistence fisheries in southeast Alaska. The meeting was postponed for over a year and eventually moved from Ketchikan to the Egan Center in Anchorage over COVID-19 mitigation requirements. Dozens of stakeholders turned out in person for the first day, while staff members and the public are also testifying online from outside of Anchorage. Board member John Wood of Willow started off the meeting asking the board to automatically reconsider any proposals that had three votes, instead of the four needed to pass in cases where one or more of the board members were not able to vote. What I'm trying to accomplish, Madam Chairman, is to make a fair playing field. When people make proposals, they're doing so because they want to see a change in the status quo. The seven-person board has one seat still unfilled after the resignation of Indy Walton of Soldotna this winter. It will be down to five voting members if anyone gets sick during the meeting or has a conflict of interest. Wood thought it was too high a bar to require 80% of the votes, or four of five, to pass a proposal. John Jensen of Petersburg expects to have a conflict on many of the 157 changes up for consideration. Uh, yeah, my concern is loading up a future board meeting with stuff that should have been decided at a past board meeting because of the structure of the the board the members. Um, like for this meeting, we're we're down one board member that hasn't one seat hasn't been filled, and I'm going to be conflicted out of probably 60 proposals here, uh, up to 60 proposals, but. I'd still be conflicted out of them on the next, whenever we kick the meeting down. I mean, our next regularly scheduled meeting is is a um, statewide meeting, which is a couple days after this one gets over. Jensen is the only board member from Southeast and owns commercial fishing permits and a boat rental business. Wood's proposal for automatic reconsideration was voted down. The board expects to spend the first three days on some highly contentious proposals for the region's herring fisheries. Most of the focus is on the commercial sack row herring fishery in Sitka Sound. There are competing proposals to reduce, change, or expand that harvest. The Sitka Tribe of Alaska has sued the state over management of the fishery, arguing that commercial seining interferes with the traditional subsistence harvest of herring eggs. Dozens are signed up to testify on both sides of the issue. Following herring, the board will move into other contentious issues, including the allocation of king salmon between commercial and sport fishing fleets and between resident and out-of-state sport anglers. The board's also scheduled to take up management plans for king salmon stocks that could further reduce fishing time and area. Some of those Chinook stocks are forecast to see their lowest return on record this year. Other proposed changes would impact crab and shrimp fisheries, the harvest of hatchery salmon, and allowable gear for sport and subsistence fishing. The meeting is live-streamed on the board's website and is scheduled to run through March 22nd. Public testimony on the opening day of the Alaska Board of Fisheries Southeast Finfish meeting split along predictable lines, with subsistence advocates speaking in favor of three proposals prepared by the Sitka Tribe of Alaska and commercial fishing advocates speaking against them. Some, like Sydney Kinney, who with her husband operates a 58-foot saner in the Sitka Sacro herring fishery, 
encouraged the board to try and understand that the issue, despite the noise, was not a simple us-versus-them problem. I'm just one of 47 small business owners in this fishery trying to diversify our operation to stay afloat in our current economic situation. We aren't just up against difficult economic times, but up against social media warriors throwing themselves behind causes they know little about and stamping their name on proposals that and spreading false information on platforms that become the pinnacle of how the next generation get their news. We plan to raise our three girls on the back deck. We're committed to showing them the importance of being stewards of the land and sea, which we depend upon for our livelihoods and our subsistence needs as well. That's why we're all here, isn't it, to advocate for what we love and what resonates within each of us. Kinney is both a citizen of the Sitka Tribe of Alaska and a shareholder in Doyon Limited, a regional native corporation in the interior. Kinney was one of 30 people who signed up to testify on day one of the Anchorage meeting in person. In Sitka, around 20 people signed up to offer testimony remotely in a video conference. Caitlin Stiles is Kiksadi Clinkett from Sitka, also a tribal citizen and a doctoral student at UC Davis in Native American and Indigenous Studies. Clinkett people have stewarded and managed these waters successfully for thousands of years before the state of Alaska existed, creating complex relationships with herring to ensure mutual survival. Stiles argued that adopting the Sitka tribe's three proposals was a step forward towards reconciling management of the fishery with sovereign rights spelled out in the 1971 Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. Public testimony on herring will continue through Friday at the Board of Fisheries, much of it dominated by the three tribal proposals from Sitka. In all, there are 14 total management proposals for herring before the board, with deliberation and voting scheduled for Saturday. Alaska's visitor industry representatives are bullish about the 2022 cruise season. The industry says cruise ships will be back to about full swing this season. But as KRBD's Eric Stone reports, there are questions over how many visitors will actually be on the ships this year. After two years of little to no cruise traffic, Travel Juno President and CEO Liz Perry says she's excited to get back to something resembling a normal summer. I think all of our operators are really optimistic that they're going to see uh, better returns this season for 2022 than they, uh, you know, have seen, you know, in a long time. Uh, I, I am a little doubtful that we'll hit 2019 numbers. There were essentially no cruise ship tourists in 2020, save for a single small ship. And though independent tourists buoyed the visitor industry in 2021, cruise ships delivered only about a tenth of their typical passenger load, with just one or two vessels tied up a day. But this summer, cruise ship schedules are packed. On some days, Ketchikan and Juno are expecting as many as seven ships in port at a time. The big question for us is how full these ships are actually going to be when they arrive. If all the ships on the schedule this year were full, it would be a record year. The largest regional cruise industry group says the ships planning to visit this summer have a rough capacity of 1.5 million passengers. That's upwards of 2019 levels. I know that worldwide, cruising has been operating at about 60 to 70 percent capacity. What that means for the Alaska cruise season, uh, again, we're just not sure. The city of Ketchikan's Port and Harbors Department is expecting ships to be about 70% full. That would be just shy of a million passengers. Skagway Mayor Andrew Kramata, for his part, says he expects ships to fill up as the season progresses. Well, we're, you know, cautiously optimistic. I think after the last couple of years, it's a good approach. However, what I'm hearing from the cruise ship companies is that 
It may be a little bit of a slower start than everybody had hoped. For a couple of reasons. First, Cremata says the Omicron variant put a damper on cruise bookings, though lately he says they've bounced back. And uh, there's always, you know, the threat that, you know, the PVSA uh, moratorium expiring could have an effect on, on some of the ships. But, you know, mostly what we're hearing from Canada is positive as well. The Canadian government announced updated COVID-19 rules for cruise ships this month. Passengers must be vaccinated with limited exceptions for kids under 12 and a few other exemptions. Passengers have to be tested before boarding and cruise lines must have plans in place for outbreaks aboard. Masks will often be optional. Cruise Lines International Association Alaska, the largest regional cruise industry group, welcomed the news. A CLIA Alaska spokesperson says it provides a level of certainty for a full Alaska season. In a statement, Holland America compared the Canadian protocols to the U.S. government's COVID-19 policies, which were made voluntary earlier this year. Why do Canada's rules matter? Well, this year, unlike last year, all cruise ships have to stop in Canada because of a 19th century federal law. The Passenger Vessel Services Act was waived for Alaska cruises last year after a push by the state's congressional delegation, but that waiver expires at the end of March. A proposal to extend it is pending on Capitol Hill, but it likely won't pass in time for the beginning of the season. Skagway's Mayor Cremata spends his summers on the cruise docks selling tours, and he says he's ready for the hustle and bustle again. I like the tourists. I like it when it's busy, and that might sound a bit crazy to people who avoid those types of scenarios, but it is part of what makes our community unique, and 999 out of 1,000 people are absolutely wonderful. The first Alaska port call of the season is set for April 25th. That's when the nearly 4,000-passenger Norwegian Bliss is scheduled to tie up in Juneau as part of its cruise of southeast Alaska. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. Among all the other work this year at Alaska's Division of Elections is the important job of producing the I Voted stickers. For this election cycle, the division got help from Alaska's children. KUAC's Robin reports. Those stickers you grab as you leave the polling place have become known in recent years as a showcase of Alaska patriotism and original artwork. Tiffany Montemayor from the Division of Elections says this time the appeal for artwork went to students. We sent that to every school district and principal and art teacher and homeschool and other organizations in the whole state. We got in over 160 artwork submissions. Next came the process of narrowing those submissions down to the ones now posted on the division's website. The division grouped the drawings, many of them in crayon, into five regions of Alaska. Each artist's name and hometown is listed with their artwork. Oh gosh, oh my gosh, it was it was very hard. If we could have had all of them in there, I think I think we would have. And now it's the voters' turn. We select the winning artwork in two elections, just like we will for the 2022 August primary and November general election. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.